Thanks, guys. Wow. What a great time in worship. Thank you, worship team, for camping out for a while, huh? Singing his goodness, his power of his name, our love for him. I noticed there's a lot of children in here today. Like, you guys got the fruitful and multiply thing down pat. You guys are nailing it, like nailing it. It's good. Now, if you turn the page, there's a whole lot of good gospel. You know, don't just camp there in that first chapter. <laughs> you all been camping in that first chapter. Turn the page, guys. It's amazing. <laughs> See, you got all them kids. You got to know how to train them up. You got to turn the page. There's a lot of children here. That's amazing. I love children. I was having a blast watching them participate. This is special. I got a lot of hugs today, too. I like that. Hugs from the kids. Wow. I got a few things on my heart. I know you believe me. If you were here last night, I'm just, I'm just glad to see some folks came back. I thought, well, maybe I ran them all off. I don't know. We, they thought I'm going to try to fulfill the rest of my time that I drove here. I kept telling everybody I should be able to preach as long as it took me to get here. And people knew I drove six hours, so they're thinking, uh-oh. So I think I only did like two hours yesterday, preached. Didn't I only preach like two hours or something? That might seem long to people, but I still got four hours. Like, yeah, somebody saying, you got tomorrow morning too, brother. No, the gospel's amazing. Uh, okay, I got to do this. I, I just got to do this. Look, he's a healer. He'll... He heals things. We'll pray tonight again. We won't do it the way we did last night. We're going to do it different. But there's something on my heart. I don't know why. I can't. I'm not trying to shake it. It just keeps coming back. So I'm just going to do it. Uh, sometimes God highlights things. He just wants to highlight things. Or he knows a certain individual or a case or a situation. But diabetes keeps coming on my heart. If you are here in this room, you have diagnosis of diabetes. You're treated for it or you have it in your life in any way. Please stand up if you can. If you have diabetes in your life. It, it, it's got to be here. Okay, I just keep feeling it in my heart that we need to pray that this disease, this thing comes out of people's lives. If you have diabetes, please don't stay in your chair. This is real, and it's really, really good when you hear stuff like this. Okay, we got everybody. Don't anybody wait. Jump to your feet. There's no child. There's no child with diabetes here, right? Any parent have a child with diabetes? They weren't born with no pancreatic function or anything. No child, okay? Just making sure. It's not an extra word or anything. I'm just making sure because there's a lot of children running around. Do we have the adults? We're going to pray for you and just believe God. It's real simple. You don't have to do anything. You stood up. That was enough. You're acknowledging that you stood up and you just want God to touch you. I believe that. If you're sitting real close to him, you can just stretch your hand. If you can touch him, touch him. You don't have to get out of your chair necessarily to go after him. But that's just believe God. Father, we just thank you right now that you heal, that you restore, and that you make whole diabetes, you leave in Jesus' name, in the authority of Jesus' name. No more diabetes be found, pancreas work, proper insulins, blood sugars, in the authority of Jesus' name. Man, I love you, sweatshirt. We are. We're in this together, man. In the authority of Jesus' name, you be healed, completely made whole. Not one more trace of diabetes in your life. In Jesus' name, presence of God, you're awesome. Thank you, God. This presence of the Lord's amazing. He's here. I'm telling you, he put this on my heart. He's healing people. This is not a joke. In the authority of Jesus' name, be absolutely made whole. Diabetes, you leave him. You never torment him again. Nerves, you come alive. Feet, you come alive. Neuropathy, you leave him. Sight, you be strong. Nerve endings, you be whole. In the authority of Jesus' name, you be completely made well. In Jesus' name, God, we worship you. Father, we just thank you for wholeness in this room. We just thank you that every person is completely healed and completely made whole. Father, in the name of Jesus, be made whole. Diabetes, you leave him in Jesus' name. Complete healing and wholeness over your life. No susceptibilities, no allergies, no infections. Completely whole in the authority of Jesus' name. Yeah, I thank you, Father, for it. 
Yep, I just speak health over you for the rest of your life. Wholeness, the hand of God on you for the rest of your life. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. We've got to go get that lady right there. I'm coming to get you. We're already praying. I usually don't even go around and lay hands and touch people like this. But the Lord put this on my heart. The Lord spoke diabetes. I'm obeying it. And I'm just believing he's doing the work. You can't heal anybody, people. But you can sure believe he's the healer. You can sure believe he loves people. You can sure believe he's a finished work. And the authority of Jesus' name be made whole. Be made whole. Yeah, Holy Spirit, thank you. Come, wash right through her. Pancreas, you work. Pancreas, you function. Proper insulins, proper blood sugars. I thank you every reading is normal, 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 normal. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. It's been a long, long time since I just heard that in the middle of a service, diabetes or anything, really. I, I'm a teacher. I love to teach. But when you hear things, you have to obey. I was in Ohio. It was actually Ohio one time I heard diabetes. And the lady was on the highest dose of insulin you can receive. And her blood sugar was still in the high threes. I think that's high. And she was on the highest level she could have. And she had some eyesight disruption and she had all kind of nerve ending damage. And that lady was completely restored. Completely. Like, like, I don't tell people to stop their insulin, to stop anything. I said, let your body know you're healed. She actually, she actually took some insulin and she went way low bottom. So she went on a little sugar binge and ate a bunch of stuff she hadn't eaten for years. She like ate a bunch of donuts or something crazy. <laughs> and she realized that she needed to start checking her blood before she did anything. And she found that her blood stayed normal. Two days later, right before I left, she stood up and testified the change in her body. When you get an impression, if you're out in public, I don't care where you are, wherever you are, if you look at somebody and get a little impression, take the time, walk over, say, excuse me, be gentle, be kind, but be to the point. Just say, are you dealing with this? Do you have something like, and, and it's the worst they could do is say no and you be wrong. I'd rather be wrong and say something than have been right and said nothing. Are you all with me? Welcome, family. Good to see you all. I see your faces over there. Nehemiah. Bless you. Personal, just family stuff. <laughs> You'll get these impressions. I believe you can all get these impressions. We get these impressions. I, I, I had an impression like that when I was four months saved. Four months saved and God stopped the surgery. You could say, well, you have a special gift. Might just believe. <laughs> See, we're always using the special gift thing. But these signs follow those that. So when I was four months saved... The highest part of my life was to be formed in the love of God so that I could see people the way He does, so that I could see people just the way He does because I started to see myself the way He saw me. And then I began to see people the way He does, and all of a sudden these giftings were in my life that I didn't even know were in His Word. I was so young in the Lord, I'm reading and reading, but I couldn't teach on the gifts of the Spirit. I didn't know there was a name for things. They all work through love. They all work through becoming one with his heart. He told me this in my heart a long time ago. He said, when you become one with my heart, he said, Dan, I can tell myself anything. I know that sounds weird, but that's what he spoke to me because it made sense to me in the time because of what happened. He showed me something, and it was phenomenal. And he said, Dan, I can tell myself anything. When you become one with me, you're in. I can trust you with anything because you'll handle it like me, not like a man. 
I've been in public and he showed me young girls. He showed me the name of the family member and the incest and the stuff that took place just to minister freedom and break a lie that they believed about God and why and how. Gave me inside information. That's fear and trembling. You walk up to a young girl and their family's there and you have to whisper and share with the mother and you. she starts crying and I think you need to talk to this man and boom and who are you and is this a setup? Yeah, it's a setup. It's Jesus healing and restoring. He's a real deal, guys. He's a real deal. He's more than a passport to heaven. He wants to live in our life and shine through our life. He wants to love the world around us through loving us first. So you got to receive his love. That part's not selfish. you got to see yourself the way he sees you. So when you open your eyes and look, you see the same thing in others. Are you with me? Come on, it's a big deal. We're not just here to receive something from him. We're here to become something because of him. I don't know about you, but I'm four months saved, and I get a word for a guy, and a surgery gets stopped. That revs your motor. So I'm 27 years in. You can just see, I literally calm down to communicate. I know I look ramped up to you. I'm extremely subdued right now, just so I can communicate. Because the Spirit of God is here and He's alive and well and He's real. And you hear a word for people and conditions. You get to lay hands on them and actually believe that God can come in a moment and make a difference. I don't know about you, but that's a whole lot of purpose. That's better than like a thumbs up for something. Yeah. Oh, man, we might be in trouble, young man, tonight. I don't know, man. You blessed me tonight. You don't even know it. I looked across and, yeah, I'm talking to you, man. Yeah, I like them holy knees, too. You've been on them a lot. I can tell you've been praying and praying all day. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. No, I looked over and I saw you worshiping the Lord. Nobody, nobody was, you weren't doing that for nobody but him. It blessed my heart beyond what you know. I saw you. I saw your age was young. And I said, Lord, bless him. Oh, my goodness. I just looked at you for a while. And my heart just filled up. I like, went happy. And I was like, yay. Keep your eyes fixed on him, son. Don't let anything distract you. Don't let anything become more important than knowing him and letting who he is become so alive in you. Amen? That way you'll run this race worthy of a prize. And you're going to be so glad in that day that you did. Amen? Don't let anything sneak up on you and trick you, man. Keep your heart right where I saw you tonight. Yeah? <laughs> Yeah, I just look around, I pay attention, I see things. And that really blessed me. He blessed me. I looked over there and I went, what? Yeah. Okay, what are we doing? Anybody have any suggestions? <laughs> I'm just fired up right now. I'm a little excited and I'm a little scared that I might mess up because I'm fired up. No, 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 I'm not afraid. Understand this. I cried it out, kind of cried it out last night. I'm not going to preach all the same stuff I preached last night, but I, you got to understand this. I'm going to nutshell this. God made man with a purpose and an intention. Are you with me? Like God's not just making man. He's not happenstance. Man didn't crawl out of a mud puddle. God's, now, who knows God's full of life? But he's not just so full of life that one day he was dabbling and fiddling and he was messing with the earth and he and sneezed and a man jumped up in his hand. Okay, that didn't happen. He made man with intention. And he said, let us make man for our image. And the Bible says that in the very next verse after he said it, it says he did it. Both male and, watch this ladies, you ought to like this. Both male and female in his image and his likeness. What's the number one purpose of man on the earth? To be found in his image. What's the number one purpose of female on the earth? To be found in his image. Yeah? The Bible, before sin, before things got messed up, said God made man and woman for his image and his likeness. He didn't make a woman another lump of clay. He, he reached into the fullness of God in man and brought out a woman. I don't know about you, but I like that. And he made what was one, two, so two could be one. Whoa. 
That's pretty incredible. He didn't make woman because man was lonely. He didn't make woman because man was needy. He brought out woman because man was walking in God, naming the animals, and God didn't upstage him, laugh at him, or say, you can't call it that. Whatever Adam said, so it was. And he's flowing in what God gave him. And he says, it ain't good this guy stays alone because where's he going with what I made him to be? How's he going to multiply? Where's he go with this? Where's the outlet? Where's the avenue for him to express the fullness of who I am in his life? I've said this my whole Christian life. It convicts people, but I wish we'd believe it and get a hold of it. I say if there's a woman in a man's life, it ought to be because of the fullness of God in the man. Not just because he's handsome and she's hot and I'm lonely and it's been a while and I'd sure like to have some kids soon. And <laughs> He'll work. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just think sometimes this stuff happens. <laughs> if there's a man, if there's a woman in a man's life, it ought to be because of the fullness of God in the man. I like that. Woman came out of the fullness of God in man in the full expression. See, God has this situation. He's who he is. He's who he is. And he makes man in his image, breathes life into him, and has fellowship with him and communion with him and family with him. What's God doing? He came up with a plan in an intimate way to multiply himself and manifest himself and express the beauty of who he is. Through a family. He tells Adam and Eve. He looks and he says. Whew. He blessed them and said man this is good. Right? He blessed them and said be fruitful. You all know this verse. You nailed it. Be fruitful and. So what we think is. Ooh be fruitful and multiply. Ooh going to have to have some children. We got to do something to have some children. But if you look at the context of the scripture, what he's talking about is the image. He's saying, I made you in my image. And man, this is good. Be fruitful and multiply the image. In other words, eat seed after its own kind. You got a man surrendered. You got a woman surrendered. Their whole goal is to manifest the Lord, to live for his great name, to bring him honor and glory. They're selfless. They're not self-centered. They're together out of the fullness of God in their life. And two, make one. One plus one. Kids, don't answer this in math. You'll get a bad grade. But one plus one in covenant is a stronger one. It's not two. It's one. You think about this. You get a man filled with God, in love with Jesus, surrendered, living by the Spirit. You get a woman in love with God, surrendered, filled with the Spirit, come together. They begin to multiply. They begin to have children. They begin to manifest Jesus within their family. It's the idea of God till the whole earth is filled with His glory. That's not blasphemous. What is man that you are mindful of him? That you would visit him? That you would give him dominion over the works of your hands? That he's your crowning creation and glory? We think this stuff is blasphemous and it's all through the Bible. The Christ in you is the hope of the glory of God <laughs> Romans 8 he predestined you who he predestined he called who he called he justified who he justified he glorified that doesn't mean he gave you glory that means he gave you him <laughs> he's not glorifying you in the sense that he's putting you on a pedestal so men worship you he's glorifying you by filling you with him When Israel was missing it terribly in the wilderness, who knows Israel was struggling in the wilderness? Who knows that present-day Christians use the phrase wilderness a lot for the reason for their struggles. They say, well, I've just been in a wilderness place. Who's ever heard a Christian say that? Okay, let me gently, gently, but aggressively, but gently correct you tonight. 
You must be in the Israelites' wilderness. Why don't you step into Jesus' wilderness? The outcome of Jesus' wilderness is angels ministering him and empowered by the Spirit of God, stepping into the call of God. Same wilderness, same temptation, same devil. Different motive, total surrender, selfless. Word of God. The Israelites, it'd be better for us. It'd be better for us. It'd be better for us. Complaining the whole way. We ought to just be back in Egypt. Be better for us to be under Pharaoh by a fire with leeks and onions. At least we had leeks and onions over there. All we got here is this stuff. Manna, what is it? Whatever it is. And they start loathing the worthless bread. And the bread was a type and shadow of the bread that was to come. So the bread was Christ. And what they do, they loathe the worthless bread. They tempted Christ. What they're saying is, your plan for provision is not good enough for us. And in that place, they wandered on an 11-day journey. Fascinating. It's fascinating. They wandered on an 11-day journey for 40 years? Fascinating. And none of that generation entered into the promised land. It was the young folks, Joshua and Caleb. They went in with them spies, and they said, whoa, why are you guys believing this report? Oh, yeah, the giants, they look big and stuff, but the land's amazing and everything God said. And didn't he already give it to us? Isn't it already in our hands? Let's just go, man. We could take the land. And the older folks are like, you bunch of whippersnappers, we ought to stone them. Like, they just want to wipe out Joshua and Caleb for believing. God said, you know, none of you guys are going to make it into that promised land. And he let Joshua and Caleb lead his generation in there. Jesus came out of the river Jordan. And Holy Spirit immediately led him into the wilderness. Now, I don't ever want you ever again to say, well, I've been in a wilderness place. A wilderness place is where you defeat the devil. And you grow in a revelation of God and his word. And angels minister to you in the spirit of God. Floods you. The wilderness is a place where you come out empowered. Because he's with you. And he's fire by day and he's cloud by night. And everything you need is in him. Are you with me? It's just perspective, guys. It's just attitude. They loathe the worthless bread. They come out. Could you imagine come out of your tent in the morning? And you're like, you're in the middle of nowhere. You don't even know where you are, and it's only an 11-day journey to somewhere, but you don't even know where you are, and it's been 40 years you've been circling. And you're like, I know we've seen this place before. <laughs> and you come out, and that stuff's all over the ground. And it's sustaining you. It's God's plan. It was freezing cold at night when the sun set, so a fire just hovered over them. Fascinating. In the daytime, it was so hot, so a big old cloud just followed about maybe 2 million people. Weather forecast today, 10-day forecast, cloudy every day. <laughs> right outside the line of people, boom, hot sun. Right here, shade protected. How loving is God? They're just floating along, following them, covering them by day, covering them by night. In the morning, they wake up. They can only take an omer. They can only take an omer. It's a measurement. Enough for the day. If they took more than one day, it would fill with worms. They'd just take enough for a day. But it got to a point where this got old to them because they're missing the whole point. It's all about perspective, guys. You can, you can side with them all you want, but you'll just be wandering 40 years. You don't come out of your tent and go, oh, same old stuff. Here we go again. Man, you think God would be a little more creative? I mean, yep, same old stuff. I mean, hopefully, I'm thinking maybe he'd have raisins in it today or something. <laughs> they loathe the worthless bread. What's so hard about coming out of your tent and going, there you are again. We're in the middle of nowhere. I don't even know where we are. We've been wandering here forever. And every morning, your faithfulness is on the ground. If you didn't put this stuff on the ground, we'd surely die. We'd have no life. But I can rest assured that every day, me and my babies are going to eat in this tent 
because your faithfulness is right in front of me on the ground every morning I step out of that tent. Yahweh, you're amazing. And I worship you and I honor you. And I praise your holy name. And you get your little armor and go back in and right before you go through your tent, you say, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Why is that so hard? Why is complaining easy? Complaining is easy because self-centeredness is on the earth. Now, I'm not being mean. Bear with me. Don't turn me off now. Oh, don't turn me off. Don't nobody turn me off. Self-centeredness is easy, it seems, because it's natural and normal, but it's pricey and painful and detrimental. So then complaining is easy because self-centeredness is normal. Ah, it's all a lie. Let me tell you what complaining is according to Scripture. A dead giveaway to the devil that you're not surrendered. And the Bible says in two places a Christian never complains. Wow. You know why a Christian doesn't ever complain? Because he's selfless and he's seeking first the kingdom of God and he's seeking the glory of God and he's seeking the honor of his name so he doesn't have issues. That's why a Christian doesn't complain. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> this is so simple. So Jesus says, if any man come after me, how many have come after him? How many in this room have come to Jesus? It's not a trick question. Don't be afraid. I thought, wow, they're not even born again, Pastor. Honor call. <laughs> Seriously, how many of you have come to Jesus? Okay. He said, if you come to me, he didn't say, make sure you come to an order and the music's right and make sure you cry hard so I know you're serious and pray a prayer so that when you die, you can go to heaven. He didn't say that. He said, if you come after me, I need you to deny yourself. I need you to pick up your cross. I need you to never let sin against you give the right produce sin in you. I don't need you repaying evil for evil. I want you overcoming evil with good. You tone down a harsh word with a kind word. And if they hit you on the cheek, give them the other one because you have two. But I need you denying yourself, picking up your cross so you can follow me. Because I'm really not interested in you just singing to me. And I'm really not interested in you just praying to me. I really need you to follow me because I made you for my image. And the only way you're going to follow me is if you deny yourself. Because living for yourself is the biggest lie on the planet because there's no man that was made for himself. We were made for his image. So we got to deny what we weren't made for. It's the biggest blight on the planet is that every day people wake up and live for themselves when they're made for God's image. A bigger blight is people in the church do it. That's why we're discouraged, disheartened, wayward, compromised. I'm not being mean. I'm just being real. I'm just talking. I'm not being mean. Are we okay? I'm not being mean. Come on. It's a giveaway. It's a giveaway. You know us by our fruits. So if self-centeredness is there, complaining's there and stuff like that, so we ought to go, whoa, wait, duh. Why do I have a right to have a right when I gave up my right? What? If I denied myself, why do I have so many rights for myself? Why do I have the, can I be straight? Why do I have the right to quit? Why do I have the right to give up? Why do I have the right to draw back? Why do I have the right to be discouraged? I surrendered my life. I've given myself to him. But I'm not sure we preach the gospel that way. I think what we've done is we preach the gospel as a way to heaven. Instead of a way back into his kingdom. So animosity is still normal. It takes two to fight and tangle. It takes one to pursue peace. Blessed are the peacemakers for they are the sons of God. Peacemaking's better. Are you all okay? Yeah? Don't you love this about children? No, he's awesome. You know, unless you're just concerned about getting equipment. But, but let me show you something about a child. He has no idea what he's doing. Because watch. He's zero self-conscious. What happened to us is we got self-conscious. Is, is he on a Holy Ghost rampage? We'll just call it a Holy Ghost rampage. We'll speak life over that boy. So watch this. Did you see what he just did? You wouldn't have did that without knowing what you were doing. 
And if you'd have did it, it would have been a sign of rebellion or something weird or drawing some goofy attention or something. He had no clue. He's just up there being a boy. Just doing whatever he's doing. Why? Zero self-conscious. But there comes a time in everybody's life where they begin to re realize themselves. That's why Jesus said, unless you become like a little child. Not a child, a little child. Because it's not long in where you become aware of yourself. And it's the biggest lie on the planet, living for yourself. No self-consciousness. He don't know he's not supposed to be up there. He doesn't know everybody's looking at him. He don't know and he don't care. Because he doesn't know. He's innocent. So when he says, unless you become like a little child, he's saying, unless you get back to a place of innocence where your heart's pure, you won't see the kingdom. But the pure in heart shall see God. You get scriptures? See how clear it is? I read the book. It's there. I'm so excited. I'm actually toned down just so I can communicate. I shared that with you, didn't I? I'm on an airplane sitting with people. I get talking to them. And I am really thinking I'm pulling it off and playing it cool. And they go, whoa, you're really passionate. And I'm like, are you serious? Do you see passion in me? They're like, oh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit of passion. I'm like, man, I thought I was like really subdued. <laughs> I just threw that little child thing in there because it fit. I thought, man, isn't that amazing? He has no clue. Unless you become like a little child. It just goes right with the message. Self-awareness and self-consciousness has really messed us up, guys. And if anybody come after me, let them first, first, not second. Or not at all, first. Deny yourself. Never make it about you again. Look, I'm not being mean when I say this stuff. Do you know how many people got tricked into becoming a Christian for their own gain and their own sake? Do you know how many people come to God for what he'll do for them instead of who he'll make them to be? you know how many times we come to God just to get something from him instead of become something because of him? That's why people are disappointed with the Lord. That's why people give up. That's why people are discouraged. Let me be straight with you tonight. You can't be any of those things if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and it's all about him. You can only be those things if it's about you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, don't you complain like they did in the wilderness. I'm writing this as an admonishment to you so you don't follow their example. It's Paul writing as a father. He says, I'm writing this as an admonishment so you don't follow their example. Don't you complain like they did and get destroyed by the one that destroys, devoured by the very one that devours. Why? Because when you complain, you're letting him know it's all about me. I know I sing it's all about him, but I prove it's all about me. So I have access. I have vulnerability. You strike me here, you'll get me good. And then you know what happens? You get struck, and if you're, if you're still self-centered and focused and deceived in that, here's what you do. God, why are you letting this happen to me? God, what are you trying to teach me? God, why are you doing this? God, why is this happening? And all of a sudden, it's all about him now, and now you're even confused towards him. And the whole time, it has nothing to do with any of that. It's just that you're positioned for it. That's why Paul said, don't be unaware of the enemy's devices and give him no place. Self-centeredness gives him an amazing place. I quoted it last night, still in my heart. Is it okay if I repeat some verses from last night? We probably got some new faces. Who wasn't here yesterday? See, it's their fault, guys. So if you were here, the people that raised their hand, you just love them tonight. Say, I got to hear this again because it's good. James, James, chapter 3. You want to look there? It's the peril of self-centeredness. Don't be afraid of these verses. Don't. Let's deal with this stuff. It's straight up. God loves us so much to talk to us plain. Don't you like that God would just talk plain? He says, don't you complain like they did in the wilderness and get destroyed by the one who destroys or devoured by the one who devours. That's a pretty good admonition. That's a pretty good admonishment. You know what Philippians 2 says? It says, it says since God raised Jesus up and made him name above every name and 
And every knee on earth, uh, the heaven, the earth, and under the earth is going to bow and confess he's Lord. Like, it's the most incredible. I got the whole thing rainbowed. It's phenomenal. He, he said, so now because of that, we're going to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And, and Paul said, not only when I'm present, but even when I'm absent. And, and he said, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now think about that. It's God who's working in you. He's willing to work in you both to will and do for his good pleasure. So it says, therefore, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Why? So you're seen as innocent, harmless children in the midst of a perverse generation. Whom you, shining forth as a light, hold forth the word of life. That's in your Bible. I read it. It's fascinating and powerful. It says, do how many things? All things. Without what? Grumbling, complaining, arguing, belly aching, murmuring. Those words mean all that. You got it up there? For God who works in you. To will and do for you, why don't you flip to the next verse and let's just scroll and let everybody see that I'm telling the truth. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I was right on it. I told you I read the book. Do how many things? Some, the ones that suit? The ones you can handle? All things without what? Complaining and disputing. Just roll with me. You're good at this. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. You want to touch your co-workers? You live without complaining when they know you have ten reasons to complain. And then they're going to pull you aside and just think you're some kind of passive, wimpy personality. And they're going to call you on it and try to wonder why you ain't complained by now. And then you're going to start saying, well, I don't take things personal. I want to live to the glory of God and actually have this conviction. And boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden you can share truth with them because they started it and they asked. And they saw the fruit in your life. And now your words carry weight. You ain't just preaching to them. You're giving them an answer. You get it? Come on. What's he talking about? A perverse generation. That means twisted. Perverse is twisted. What's he saying? The whole generation's twisted. Why? Because they're self-centered and self-seeking. And you're living without thought in the midst of a twisted, wrong-motivated world. Shining as a light in that world. In the world, but not of the world. Come on, this is way bigger than church attendance. Woohoo! Among whom you, 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 I'm talking to you. He's talking to you. Whom you shine as lights in the world. Can you, can you go to 2 Peter chapter 1 since you're doing so amazing? 2 Peter chapter 1. Woo, this is getting gooder. No, because I had no idea what we were doing about 20 minutes ago. I was just excited. Now I feel like we're heading somewhere. Uh-oh, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Oh, Peter, you're so arrogant. No, he isn't. He's in relationship and fellowship with God. And he knows who he is and what he's called to. But tons of people think it's their place to contest him in today's world even. Now, you don't have to pin on a badge, but he's just writing from a place of who he knew he was. To those who have obtained, uh-oh, who's he writing to? Believers, watch. We've obtained like precious faith. Like precious faith. With us, with them, with the disciples, with the apostles. How do we get that faith? By understanding we've been judged right in the sight of God through Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, the righteous judgment of God has stirred our faith that God loves us and he's made us right. We all have this like precious faith because we've received his forgiveness and we've entered back in. Isn't that incredible? 
We have like precious faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Guess what Jesus rules his kingdom by? A scepter of righteousness. Righteousness is a really big deal. Let me share the difference between righteousness and rightness. When somebody's wrong and you're right and you address them because they're wrong, you're in rightness. You're just saying, hey, man, that ain't right. And all you're doing is exposing their what? Wrong. And if you're not careful, all you do is see them for their wrong, assess them for their wrong, value them for their wrong. But righteousness is different. Righteousness sees a man in a way that empowers wrong things to be made right. Who knows we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Who knows we've all messed up? Who knows that even sometimes we knew better and still did wrong? Everybody know that? And yet God, through the blood of Jesus, comes to see us in a way not to empower our sin, to remove our sin. Not to make us confident and comfortable in our sin, but to actually cause us to see, oh my goodness, he believes so much more about me and I was created for so much more than this. So all of a sudden, he empowers me through righteous judgment, seeing me as if I've never done wrong. That's not enablement. That's freedom. That's love. That's the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He who knew no sin was made to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the word righteousness has two uses in the New Testament mainly. It's one is your right standing with God. It's to be right with God. No guilt, no condemnation, no shame. Acquitted, free, justified, clean, right? The other use of righteousness is bearing the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness is any expression of the nature of God. Anything that is who God is, is a work of righteousness. So we're righteous trees, the planting of the... So whose idea is this? We didn't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to love God. No. Hopefully we saw He first loved us. Because if you don't see that, you'll feel reduced to serving him or trying to please him or trying to earn something from him. But when you see he first loves you, oh my goodness, you respond back in that love. And you realize he sees you for who he created you to be, not for who you've been. And you realize that he's pulled you out of darkness to place you in the light. And you know you could never go back and redo the things you've done wrong. And you can't change it, but you can change. And when you change through the blood of Jesus, God will never see you for where you've been. He'll see you for what you've become. Isn't that amazing? That's called redemption. Brought back to original value. I've seen countless STDs healed. I've seen incurable sexually transmitted diseases healed. I've seen... Oh, I've seen 50 plus people that were cutters that had scars on their bodies get new skin. Why? Because what they did in that season, they didn't know who they were. And when their heart changed and they repented and they wished they didn't do that, but they can't go back and change that, the thing they did left a mark. But God's not judging them for where they've been, so why is where they've been able to judge them? And if God makes things new and old things pass away, why doesn't the mark go? Oh, I've got several emails of people that got tested three months in a row for HIV that had it from sexual stuff, drug abuse, and it's completely out of their body. Why? Redemption. God doesn't see them for where they've been. God sees them for what they've become. And all of a sudden, mercy triumphs over judgment. And love covers a multitude of sin. See, that's what these scriptures mean. They're not meant for an amen on Sunday. They're meant for a release of the power of God in people's lives that are called out of darkness into the marvelous light. Are you with me? Oh, I hope you're with me because I'm getting a little revved up. <laughs> Redemption. I've watched it with my eyes. I saw a lady, incurable sexually transmitted disease. She'd never had a sexual sin in her entire life. But her husband left her. 
And this man came and said all the things she must have needed to hear in that moment. Not one sexual sin in her life. She only ever knew her husband for 32 years. And now he just left her for a woman 15 years younger, went for a new model, and she took it personal and thought, I ain't the woman I used to be. Can't keep his attention anymore. So a fella came that she had his attention. And what'd she do? Slipped into his arms. And in the act, right in the act, she goes, oh, can you imagine her trauma? In the act of them coming together, she goes, what am I doing? And she grabbed her things, pushed him off, and took off running. Sorry to be graphic, I'm just being real. She told me the story. She took off running, crying with her clothes. But you know what happened? Started breaking out in symptoms. Started breaking out in symptoms. She got tested. The doctor's family doctor, lifelong family doctor, sits her down and says, Honey, we need to talk. Where have you been and what's going on? She said, Why? He told her she starts crying. I just had this one moment. It was just a moment. It didn't, we didn't even finish. I ran. <gasps> well, honey, you have an incurable transmitted disease. Why? There's no mercy in that arena. You play with the poison, the snake strikes. You get deceived. Her heart's good. She's pure, but she's deceived. She's hurt. Her husband, emotions, this guy, ooh. Yeah? Who knows that God's mercy is way bigger than her mistake? Who knows she's not a harlot? Who knows she's a hurting, confused woman that got trumped by a man and just got deceived for a moment and caught herself in the moment and ran? Just a little too late. And she was in a service and I was preaching like this. And when I walked up to her, she started crying hard. And she kept saying, I'm not that kind of girl. I'm not that kind of girl. I'm not that kind of girl. And you knew what she was saying. And I said, honey, you don't need to tell me anything. We're just going to pray. She said, no, I got it. And she told me the whole story. Ah. Oh. I looked at her. I said, honey, that's coming out of your life. And there ain't nothing nobody can do about it. And see, that ain't arrogant. That's the will of God. I said, there ain't nothing nobody can do about it. And I don't even think I barely prayed. I think that was enough. <sighs> it ain't your prayer. He's the Lord. <laughs> I ran into her six weeks later. She's at the same service I'm at six weeks later. She comes running to me. And I said, hey. She said, hey, guess what? And I said, what? <laughs> she said, they ran every sort of test on me. The doctor's confounded. They can't find it in my blood. I said, I said, do you know why? She said, yes, because God is so merciful. God is so loving and God is so kind. And who knows she's right. But everything she's saying he is needs a place to land. I'm never wrong when I look at you and say God loves you. God loves you. I'm always right. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you, man. God loves you, girl. God loves you. God loves you. Who knows I'm always right. There's a difference between me saying God loves you and you being loved by God. I said, do you know why it's not there? She said, because God is merciful. And she worshipped him and it, she was right. And I said, let me tell you why it's not there. It was the Lord. I wasn't trumping him. I took her little chin and I looked in her eyes. I said, let me tell you why it's not there. Because that's not the answer I'm looking for. And she's looking at me like, it's the only answer. And it is. But I looked in her eyes. It was so fun. I said, because you're not that kind of girl. And she went, <laughs> Bam! You see what's wrong with me? My life is a lot of fun. <laughs> You're not that kind of girl. Doesn't she need to see that and believe that and hear that? She makes one sexual mistake in her whole life. And the thing bitter for keeps. And God said, I ain't having it. That ain't her. If she knew what she knows right now, she'd have never went that far. 
And God separates her from that thing through the blood of Jesus, washes her clean as if she's never been there. And then he washes through her body and makes her spirit, soul, and body, 1 Thessalonians 5, blameless till he comes. Ain't that something? I got scripture for this stuff, man. He makes all things new. Where did I turn you? I turned you to 2 Peter chapter 1. Did you give up on me or are you just giving it a rest? you just giving it a rest? You thought I forgot, didn't you? No, I got stuck on the word righteousness. It's a good place to stall. <laughs> Can we go back there? Do you mind? You're amazing. Thank you. You got to give her some kind of award or something. She's doing great. I love when they put it up and everybody can see it together. I just think it's awesome. So, yeah, like we're all waiting for you, girl. Like, no, I'm just kidding. I'm having so much fun. It's ridiculous. Second Peter chapter one. It's amazing. So we have like precious faith by the righteousness of God that comes through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? So now watch this. You can just scroll to the next verse, please, and then just roll with me as I read, if you want to or would. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's why we teach. That's why we train, right? Go ahead. As his divine power has given to us all things. You see the phrase all things in 2 Corinthians 5, right? And all things are of God. So all things that pertain to life and godliness. So, and it's through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Virtue is like a high, excellent moral value. Okay? Go ahead, next verse. By which, by which this grace, this truth, we've been giving exceedingly great and precious promises. Is that for full vats and barns? No, no, no. It's an assurance that through these promises we may be partakers of the divine nature. He's assuring us that can we be restored back to his image. And in, in being restored back to his image and partaking of his divine nature, look what happens after the comma. In receiving his divine nature, you're escaping the corruption that's in the world through self-centered, unsatisfiable desire. That's the word, lust. What? Is this clear or what? I'm coming over here too. You guys, hey, hi guys. I'm coming with you for a little bit. You guys are amazing. Watch. By which we've been given exceedingly great and precious promises. What are the promises? To assure we partake of everything necessary to manifest him. That his grace is sufficient. That we're saved by grace through believing it. That grace is his empowerment. And if I'm willing to surrender, he's willing to empower that. If I'm willing to become love, he's willing to empower me to love. You get it? And in that promise, I partake of his divine nature. And in partaking of his divine nature, I'm coming out of darkness into the light. In the world, but not of the world. Escaping the corruption that's all around me through self-centered seeking. Isn't that amazing? So the love of God and self-centeredness are totally opposites. That's why he said, if you come after me, I need you to do something. Don't just pray a sinner's prayer. Deny yourself. Get real with the problem. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Ain't that something? Huh. Every day, every day, people are waking up living for themselves. Come on, I'm not being mean, I'm just being real. Everyday Christians are just pursuing God for what he can do for them, how he can make their life better, how he can meet their needs and pray their list. And rarely commune with him, receive his love, believe his love, partake of his love and walk in his love. If I'm reading my Bible clear, which I really think I am, we're not on the earth to be loved by each other. We're on the earth to love each other. Not to need it, to be it. And there's a big difference. God never made man to need love. God made man to be love. Because he made man in his image and God is love. He doesn't do love. He is love. 
You get it? Come on. So we need to surrender to him. We need to like totally just give it up for him. Can I? I'm not, I'm not an emotional like order call guy. But I feel like, can I have some music? Can something? Can you just play something? Can you do something? I just feel like God wants to heal some things. Heal some hearts. You just come on up. Whatever you do will be enough. It'll be right. You and the Holy Ghost is way more than enough. Are you kidding? Look, the reason we get water baptized in the church, it's not because it's the next step on the list. It's not because it's just an ordinance. It's a sign of dying to live. I know some people say it's merely an outward expression of an inward grace, and, and I don't disagree with it, but it's way more. It's a sign of dying to live. The, the water is a grave. It's a burial. It's buried in the likeness of his death. You're, you're going down and you're dying to sin once and for all. So even as Jesus was raised by the glory of the Father, you also may be raised in the newness of life. It's Romans 6. It's amazing. It's there. If you've never been water baptized... Now's a great time. Get water baptized. You guys do water baptisms around here? Like, you got one here? Like, get water baptized. And do you keep it running or do you need to get it running at some point? Yeah. So, so, so listen, let Pastor know. Or Steve, let, let him know. Man, I need to do that as an expression that I'm dying. And I'm giving it up. I'm done messing around. I'm, I'm done being half in. I'm done being two-thirds in. I'm surrendering. Baptism is a great way to say, you know what? I'm all in. Bur buried with him into death. Yeah. And the death he died, it's Romans 6, verse 10. He died to sin once and for all. And the life he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, you reckon yourself dead indeed unto sin. That means it's stain, it's memory, it's identity, it's impulse, it's actions. Reckon yourself dead indeed to sin. And alive unto God in Christ Jesus. We did a baptism once. I think it was 20-some. It was close to 30 girls that were cutters. Came out of the water baptism and had no scars. One after the other. Ah! That'll mess you up. They're standing in the water shaking and screaming. A lot of them were looking at their bellies. Pulling up their t-shirts going. Ah! I was in a service where 14 people had happened to. They couldn't even testify. They were laying on the floor trembling and shaking. Their friends had to share what happened because they were so undone. I was in Texas and I saw a boy with a big railroad track carved into his forearm. I watched it disappear in front of my eyes. I'm either a twisted sicko and I'm looking for your temporal one moment attention or I've seen these things. I guess time will tell if I'm telling the truth. In that same service, a girl had 20 scars, 10 on each leg. And she sliced herself, and it looked like she measured them. Until it was all over, she was an elder's sister who was saved for one month. And I preached this redemption message. And all 20 of her scars disappeared off of her thighs. They were a quarter inch raised in purple because she cut over them again and again and again. Her one God-given set of legs. But now she sees different. She ain't the girl that got those legs. She's the girl that's changed. And Jesus said, mercy triumphs over judgment. You ain't going to leave here with what you earned and deserve. You're going to leave here with what I paid for. Redemption. See why I love him so much. He's not just a passport to heaven. He's the answer of a new life. A new life through Jesus Christ. I'm not having an order call. You don't even have to let me know tonight who you are. But if you're carrying a mark like that from yesterday, if you got an STD, if you've hurt your concentration level, your memory. If you messed around with drugs and you just took it far, or you got so blasted one night, you just haven't been the same since and you mark that night as the night I've been different. I, ha I don't have the same level of concentration. I, I don't have the same memory that I used to have. I don't feel sharp anymore and I, I know it's because of what I did. 
If you're sitting there and you're saying, man, if I could go back and do it now in light of what I'm learning and knowing, I would change it in a minute. But you can't. You can't go back and re regret is miserable. Regret's the only thing the world knows to do. It's just, man, why'd I have to? Oh, if I wouldn't have just, oh, why'd I need to? Ah! Come on, regret's a wretch. There's no answer in regret. There's death. You just hate yourself. You're mad at yourself. And every time the thing's more in your face, you're, why did I have to? Ah! You all know what I mean. Regret is never an answer. It's the world's way. 2 Corinthians 7, it's the world's way. And it produces death. God's way is godly sorrow. And it leadeth to repentance. It says, what a vindication. What a clearing of yourselves. Tonight, if you marked your bodies, if you marked yourself, you got something in your blood that is because of your choices. And you know in your heart, if I ask you this question, if you could go back and do it over now that you know what you know, would you do it different? Or would you make sure you erase that out of your book? And you'd say, yes, sir. Well, then that would be a great answer. What we say to that girl? You're not that kind of girl. Yeah, but she, shh. No, 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 no. The girl I was talking to was not the girl that ran from that room. Are you with me? I want you in your heart to thank God that he loves you. I want you in your heart to thank God he forgives you if you're carrying a mark like that in your life. If you were a cutter and you hurt your body, I want you to thank God that he loves you. Don't you hate yourself for it. Don't you be mad about it. Don't you be condemned about it. Be repentant. And say, man, I have way more value than the mistakes I made. I have way more purpose than where I've been. And God, I thank you tonight for seeing me as if I've never been there. Are you all with me? Come on, I could get you to stand up. I do it a lot. People cry, they stand up, and we pray. I don't even feel like we have to stand up tonight. You don't even have to say, hey, that's me. You just need to say, God, I believe you love me, and I believe you're changing me. And if I could go back and change the resume, I would. And I just know you're changing me. So thank him for taking away the mark. Thank him for taking away the sickness. Thank him for restoring the brain. Thank him right now. Everybody in this room, would you please just close your eyes? Right now in this room, everybody just close your eyes. Start praying to him something about surrender, committing yourself to him, just going deeper, wanting to know him more, the passion of what I'm saying. Let it be the pursuit of your heart. Just in some way, make contact with the Lord. But if you're one of that group that needs redemption, that has a situation that you invited into your life, would you thank him for loving you and restoring you right now? Father, I thank you that everyone that's praying that is being restored. I thank you there's not one STD that can remain. I thank you there's not one trace of one contamination that can rest in the blood. I thank you, Father God, that you restore minds, you restore organs, you restore livers, you restore kidneys, you restore bladders. Lord God, as if they never used. If somebody smoked and smoked and they don't smoke now and they say, man, I wish I wouldn't, I'm sure paying the price. God, I thank you that you breathe into their lungs. You make their lungs new. I was in California. A lady smoked for 60 years. She could hardly breathe in. She'd choke half to death trying to breathe in. They said, you're going to die. You have this thing. Your lungs are failing. Everything's congested. She heard this message, stood up. We prayed. She coughed. And I... I asked Holy Spirit, watch what you ask. I said, come and dredge her lungs, Lord. And, and she started to gag, and it looked like she needed medical help. And she started to cough and gag and cough, and it was like the most putrid, I'm just being real, the most putrid, nasty, sewer, nasty smell I think I've ever smelled in my entire life blowing into my face. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And people were hugging her and holding her, and she's going, it looked like a manifestation almost. She just keeps hacking and coughing, and I had to turn my head. It was so gross. In a moment, Holy Spirit said, hey, I want you to ask her to breathe into your face. I said, what? He said, have her breathe into your face. I said, honey, I need you to breathe on me. She said, huh? I said, the Lord just asked. I just need you to. She breathed on me. You know how a baby doesn't have bad breath because they're so little and clean? And she goes, I couldn't even tell she was breathing on me other than I felt it. And I'm like, I'm like, What? I said, you came and dredged her lungs. So I was always a runner my whole life. So I said, hey, I said, I need you to do this with me. I said, empty out your lungs, exhale. As soon as you exhale, I want you to look at me and follow me. She went, 
and she's going, and her eyes are, and everybody went, because this lady couldn't even go without gagging. <laughs> she had to walk slow, be careful to not get out of breath, and there was nothing they could do for her because of the damage she had done. And she said, Lord, if I knew then all those years what I know now and would have realized the damage I've done, I would have had a better chance of saying no, and I don't believe I would have done it. Would you have mercy on me? And his mercy triumphs over judgment. I know a lady that God said, hey, you shouldn't be eating so much of that. It's too much of that. It's not healthy for you. Stop eating too much of that. And she didn't listen. She acted like she didn't hear it. Six months later, she had ruined her gallbladder. Completely destroyed. They're going to remove it. She called me and said, keep me in prayer. Calls me, Pastor, on Tuesday. Says, keep me in prayer. They're doing a the surgery Thursday. I'm thinking, it's Tuesday. Why are we praying for surgery Thursday? It's Tuesday. I said, what? She said, they're removing my... I said, why aren't we praying for the gallbladder? She said, I brought it on myself. She said, I made my bed and now I have to sleep in it. I said, I think Jesus made you a bed. I think you ought to get in that when the sheets are clean. She told me the story. I said, honey, I'm your pastor. You, what do you know about repentance? I'm your pastor. You're calling me to pray for a surgery on Thursday and it's Tuesday? What about your gallbladder? Oh, I just figured because I disobeyed and I just, I said, honey, you say you knew better, but you know better now. Yeah, I guess I do. I said, let me ask you a question. If you could go back six months and retrack and do it over, would you obey? She said, that feels like you're putting a knife in my heart. What kind of question is that? Of course I would. I said, that's the best answer you could have given me. That means I'm not talking to the lady that disobeyed. I'm talking to the lady that's changed. You learned a hard lesson, but a lesson nonetheless. Let's pray for your gallbladder. We prayed for her gallbladder. Thursday, I lead intercession on Thursdays. Got a bunch of wild ladies with tears in their eyes all around me every Thursday. And then the men started coming, praise the Lord. I said, Lord, I can't run with these ladies. You got to put Mary in me, Esther in me. You got to put Deborah in me. I can't hang with these ladies. They was just, you're just trying to teach them to stir intercession and you say Jesus and they go, ah. <laughs> you just mentioned Jesus. Ah! I'm like, Lord, you better help me. <laughs> I'm leading intercession on Thursday. She has a surgery. I said, you make sure you tell them to totally check your gallbladder and don't do the surgery. Check it, and if your insurance won't pay, we will cover the cost. But check it. I'm leading intercession. We're praying. I look, and I see the double door swinging. Our worship leader, he's on staff full time. He's coming in, and we're worshiping, and, there's, and we're interceding, I mean, and we have music playing, and he comes in, and he twirls the whole way down, and he's holding this little sticky note. comes and hands it to me, all in motion. I read it. Hey, Dan, thank you for the phone call, the revelation. It's Jackie. They looked at my gallbladder. They said they can't explain it, but there's nothing wrong. Now, either I'm making up some stuff and I'm a real twisted man, or I've been seeing this for a long time, and I'm very excited about the possibilities of God. Well, yeah, but what about, what about what he did? Isn't it amazing how we build a case on the things we haven't seen when there's a whole lot of things he's doing?